On fossil downs and cane grass station in a million homes across the nation, they're tuning in Australia on a Sunday morning. Good morning, Maka. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. I've just spent 20-odd uh, minutes uh, trying to dodge the rain in the telephone box, patiently waiting to get to you because... I walk this particular track every day and, ah, oh, public telephone, I'll give Macca a call. Now, this is uh, Toon Gabby in Victoria, near Traugan, not Toon Gabby in Sydney. No, no, not, it's not that busy. We don't even have a traffic light here or a pub. You've got a phone box. I don't know if there's one in yeah. Toon Gabby in Sydney. Half a phone box, Macca, half a phone box. You've got a roof? I've got a roof, but it's got no sides. And, no and sides. The, oh, dear. Except for the back that faces the road, but it's, there's not much of it, so... <laughs> The new, the new TARDIS. <laughs> yeah. Remember the red ones where you went in and you closed the door and like you were in yeah. your, your own little private world. And you could get out of the weather. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's what I mean. All right, guys. I no, really, really enjoy your show, Mac. It's, it's great when you're out walking every morning. Where's I think that's what he said. Professors, engineers, geologists, facetists, surveyors and speleologists are ringing from the rock on a Sunday morning. Yeah, Macker in the morning turns my week around. He picks me up when I feel down. Wait all week for Macker on a Sunday morning. Ooh, it's cold this morning for Nancy's chooks. They're walking dogs, they're writing books. As Trevor stacks his bottles by the roadside. On you, Trev. In Turak, T.I., Tumbarumba, at the lodge and Yarralumla. They might be listening to Macker on a Sunday morning. My week starts with Macca on a Sunday morning. Good morning and welcome to the program, wherever you are. Lovely to talk to you. 1300 700 This is Lee, ladies and gentlemen. It's a fascinating instrument the did, isn't it? Keith Galinsky has uh, emailed me, he said, just listening this morning, this is last week or the week before, I think, I learned to play the didge about 12 years ago and I'm now 76. Like many people, it always fascinated me. I'm not a great player, but do I, do okay, I think. Well, you probably do. It would not be as difficult as you might think, Ian, but you have to work at it. As like everything, it takes a bit of practice and it's a lot about who teaches you and how. The first thing is to realise you can't breathe in and out at the same time. Well, see, that's what I thought circular breathing meant. So Keith says you can't breathe in and out at the same time. Have you you tried it? But the term circular breathing seems to suggest that. It's really a combination of blowing a raspberry. Okay, we'll blow a raspberry, blow a raspberry, followed by squeezing, causing a raspberry. So, anyway, think of it. Yeah, think of it like bagpipes, except that your cheeks become the airbag. It's interesting, isn't it? The didge of, is a vibrational instrument rather than an, an air instrument. A very small amount of air escaping through your lips can last a very long time, provided it's a good didge. Um. That's what you need to start with, and that's why some are cheap and some cost thousands. I didn't know that. Let me know if I can help further, says Keith. Well, I, I've got a couple of digits, um, but I didn't. Yeah, I bought them both in Western Australia, I think. They were like in a shop, and 
I don't know if they were that dear. One's, you know, painted and looks pretty flash and the other one's just plain, but it's it's a big long one and it's, you can work out the keys. So if you're playing along with a song, I'm not sure because I haven't done a lot, but I know there's one song that I was playing at once upon a time and it's in E flat and and uh, you can tell if you just bang your hand against in like a piece of pop, you get um, you find out what key it's in. And this digi I bought was in E flat, so it sounds fine with the song when someone can play it. But yeah, I suppose as he said, circular breathing. I'll tell you again, it's a combination of blowing a raspberry followed by squeezing, causing a raspberry. Think of it like, I don't want to make those sounds here this morning. Think of it like bagpipes, except that your cheeks become the airbag. Wow. That's the story. <laughs> sounds great in songs, doesn't it? Every song, really. Speaking of trees, well, we heard because that's what digits are, where they come from. Um, Peter Green says, so I'd like to tell you what my wife and I have been doing over the last few years, because you were talking about planting trees. Everywhere we go, either metal detecting or just going to the bush, we plant seeds as we walk through the bush. We always carry a pocket of seeds and just dig a small hole and place some seeds in and impress the area down with our boot. The seeds we mostly plant are sandalwood. I I talked years ago when I was in Kalgoorlie to an old bloke who was a sandalwood puller because that was a big industry. Sandalwood is much prized all around the world for its wood and its perfume and scent. And there's a native sandalwood and there's an imported one too, I think. I'm not really too sure. But anyway, Pete says, The seeds that we mostly plant are sandalwood and I've attached a couple of photos of some of the germinated seeds that were planted only this year where we visited the area last week and we're excited to see just how much they've grown. I've got also a photo of a small sandalwood tree as well as the old man gimlet tree, that's Eucalyptus salubris. The tree had been cut down in the early days, around 1900s, for timber to be used in the Kalgoorlie mines. As you can see, it has regrown with 12 new trees shooting from the stump. We've been experimenting with different varieties of acacia as well. Next time we go back into the area, we'll check them out for growth. We have had the luxury of a bit of rain here lately, so we are hoping with some degree of success. Anyway, Mako, keep it the good work and keep promoting the need to plant trees. Well, of course, it's uh, it's just uh, if you want to do something for your environment, plant some trees. Simple, simple. Uh, look, our number this morning is thirteen hundred seven hundred triple two. I've got lots of uh, lots of lovely uh, bits and pieces and letters. I'll come to those in a minute and uh, we'll talk about a little native fish and big native fish this morning big the murray cod is just one of the biggest fish freshwater fish in the world i think it's a huge can be a huge fish and i'll talk to a bloke who's spent his life basically where has he spent his life making sure there's murray cod and eastern cod and generally native fish in the river um it's a lovely story that'll be it uh in the All Over News, um, and we'll talk to you, 1300 700 Good G'day, this is Macca. Uh, is that Macca? Yeah, it is. 
I'll sing you a song. There is a land where summer skies are gleaming through a thousand eyes, blending in which in harmony, in harmony. And grassy knoll and forest side are flushing through a rosy round, and all around is leisure bright. Australia, Australia, Australia. You ever heard that song? Oh, of course, everybody's, well, not everybody, but a lot of people. Now, you're, who are you? You've heard it, have you? Yeah, I have. What's your name? Uh, Joe Rackage. Joe, I said, when you come out to you're the fr- Kensington, you're the, f- you're the fruit you're picker. Knocked on my front door and come in. That's right, I remember. Joe, Joe used to be a fr- fruit picker. Is that right? Um, you probably can hear me, or I, I can't hear you, right, but I'll keep going. Yeah. And I start singing you a song here. Um, Joey, can't you hear me? Can you hear me? Oh, but uh, you can hear me, so I'll, I'll start singing. But I wanted to ask you a question, Joe. I wanted to yeah. ask you a question. Now you live out at Kensington in your own on your own in a single room, um, and I met you down at uh, Janelli one evening where the. No, I can't hear that. You can't hear it. There oh, you, oh, you asked me a question, something about do I live in a room or something? Yeah, uh, you need. Is you that pro- to do with the census? No, 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 nothing to do with the census. I met you at Janelli, right? I met you at Janelli when you went to the Uniting Church. There used to yeah, yeah, I know that. Um, but that's closed now, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, yeah. Look, Joey, look, I'll come out and see Let's you. Say, I'll that? sing you this song. You can, I'll start singing this here, but you, you did, it wasn't much good. You didn't have time. Yeah. The sun shines bright on the old Swan Valley home. Well, it's summer, the harvest begins, yeah. and the folks all talk from dawning till the dusk in the old Swan Valley home far John, away. Joey, 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 Joey. When I was in my chains, Joey, I'll come and see you down at. Exploration in my veins. I'll tell you the story about Joey when he goes. Valley home goodbye. Joey. Across this great no. white country <laughs> to the other side. Joey, to I've got to go, mate. Nice to talk to you. And I'll come out and see you in Kensington, okay? It was all I never wanted to see. Yeah, thank you, Joey. Bye. I'll have to get rid of Joey. I'll tell you Joey's story. Joey um, lives in a single room with a lot of other uh, men. Um, out Kensington Way, um, he gets meals in in um, street places, and he also goes to the one I was talking about in Janelle, The United Church used to have a, a place where he could go and get a meal in the evening. I went down there one evening and talked to the people, but um, that's since closed. So Joe wakes up in the morning and goes where there's a breakfast, or where there's a lunch, or where there's a tea. And travels around on public transport. I'm not sure how he does now in these days, but this is in the heart of Sydney. He used to be a fruit picker, a gun fruit picker. Um, and uh, yeah, when you think about life, um, he's living in this little ramshackle, rundown place um, on his own. And you just const- contrast the um, wages, wages and salaries of executives in Australia. And Joe... Um, is living on his uh, on his uppers. Really, he's down on his uppers. 
Um, but he writes quite good poetry too. He sends me little things. He was in a phone box there, of course. He was in a phone box and he travels because he doesn't have a phone or a mobile. But, um, yeah, um, he, I think why he couldn't hear, Kel, I think he probably needs a hearing aid. That's what I reckon. Um, but anyway, uh, that's Joe, some of the people that um, I've met over the years. Um, pulls you up a bit. I wonder what he's doing in COVID um, and how he can travel for food and things like that. Chris is in West Ride. Morning, Chris. Good morning, Macca. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks. You're in. That's in Sydney. You're in Sydney, and it's I'm in Sydney, Macca. Bit wet, but uh, uh, yeah, we've had about ten mils. I just measured it. Yeah, so yeah, it's not real wet, but it's uh, it's been it's been nice to see it. Yeah. Yeah, I'll say. It. And uh, you had a story about the dam. Yeah, I was I was just noticing that uh, Burrendong Dam's now. 99% full. Wow. And uh, during the drought, I know it got down to 1% or less. So dramatic change there. I think it's the same with a lot of the dams now. You know, the dams are, are full because of, it's been a wet season. And I saw, did I see the other day that the Bureau <laughs> said that um, wetter than usual spring and summer in Australia? I think that's correct. Yeah, I heard the same, So. That's what they. But that's was, what they said. I hope they're right because I hate them being wrong. Because they're sometimes they are wrong, and you know, you, you've got to have faith in something, Chris. Yeah, perish the thought. <laughs> I'm looking forward to when things open up of getting out to the Macquarie Marshes if I can. <laughs> why? Why for? Oh, I just uh, love the bird life and everything that's out there when the when the marshes have got a good flow through them. Yeah, the so, last time yeah. I was at the marshes, uh, when it, we we did our program, I think it was in '94. Um, we did it at um, Quambone, and uh, right. and it's near near the marshes. And I went out there it one is. day and parked the car and walked across a little bridge, and I looked down and there was water flowing, of course, because there'd been some rain. And I saw, you know, how the water flows. It was flowing, you know, just gradually. But all these carp, hundreds and hundreds of carp, were just hovering as they do against the current under the bridge. And I thought, my yeah. God. I've got we got a little story this morning about native fish and not carp of course, which are the opposite. And um yeah, so but yeah, a lovely area. Wish we could have got rid of the carp. Isn't it amazing to think that people release things like that and we've brought all these feral animals to Australia. Camels and donkeys right. and foxes and goats and rabbits and cane toads and dear, unbelievable unbelievable. Oh, it's dreadful. Yeah, and it's pigs. Stressful. There'd be pigs in what? the marshes too, wouldn't there? For sure. Yeah. Ter- terrible. When I when I was a kid, mate, we used to live on the river out of uh, out of town, out of Dubbo, and uh, when I'd go fishing, which was very regularly, um, you'd only catch cod and the um, freshwater catfish. And uh, now I reckon nine fish out of ten you'd catch would be carp. Yeah. It's yeah. just dreadful. Yeah, um, you got a story about peaches? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> we we grew up on a, on a peach farm or on a stone fruit farm. Yeah. But there was, there was a variety of peaches we had called greys, which were very, very large. Yeah. Nine to a tray, which uh, that's, uh, that's not many in a tray of peaches, but that's how large they were. Yeah. Yeah, keep speaking into the phone, uh, Chris. Uh, greys... 
Well, I remember when I was a kid, I used to go up the street and mum would say, go and get a can of um, clingstone peaches, which you could get. And there was often there was a stone in the, in the can, but you never get that now. I mean, yeah, I don't know what the story was, but we never used to get clingstone. We don't get clingstone peaches in cans anymore. Uh, the, uh, the mainly the white flesh peaches were clingstone, and the and the yellow flesh were slipstone. Yeah, so the the, the stone would easily be removed from the from the yellow flesh peaches. Yeah, those greys. Do they still grow greys? I suppose they do, but you don't get them in cans. Oh, I, I haven't heard of them uh, in the last twenty years, Macker. You know, a good uh, orchardist might tell you uh, whether they're still around, but uh, I don't know. It, it, it's funny. We used to also grow tomatoes, and uh, and uh, they were sprayed back in the fifties with uh, a combination of DDT and uh, copper sulphate. And uh, we used to tie up the tomatoes as kids, uh, you know, for pocket money. And uh, they'd spray the tomatoes. <laughs> We'd just step back from them, and they'd, they'd you know continue to spray the the rose. So Dad and his business partner were involved. And despite the fact that uh, DDT was regularly used, Dad lived to be 90 and his business partner lived to be 92. <laughs> so, something in the genes, I reckon, uh, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Must be. <laughs> Good on I'm you, mate. promoting DDT. See you, mate. Bye. See you, mate. Bye. <laughs> This is the All Over News. As I think I've said before, in this COVID time, a lot of news or maybe information is pushed into the background. And this is just one of those. An email from a bloke called Rod Cheatham. He says, uh, My wife Linda and I love how we are transported to all different parts of our great country and even hearing from expats overseas. We've travelled through parts of this great country a few times now with family and friends. Now into our 60s, we've ended up living on bribey. I guess in a semi-retired lifestyle. Right now, I am still part-time at a government research facility caring for a number of our marine fish species. I've been fortunate to work for government fisheries agencies in both Victoria and Queensland now for around 35 years, a pretty significant chunk of my working life. If I can backtrack a little, says Rod Cheatham, as children, my folks took us fishing and camping around Swan Hill, Echuca, Tokemwall, the Goulburn and Ovens Rivers and other well-known camping spots. Later on... As a youth and young man, I fished around the Edwards and Billabong Creeks in New South Wales and the Upper Goulburn River in Victoria. As you and any of the other river folk out there know, it gets into you, almost like it's part of you. The screeching cockies in the morning, the gentle lulling sound of movement the water seems to create, a fire and a camp oven in the evening and you are in heaven. But I was a youngster around the 60s and 70s. That's when carp took off and proliferated. As a young person, we were taught that carp was a foreign fish and indeed a pest. In Victoria and Queensland, they still are listed as noxious. But the real reason for this note is another pest fish lurking around the edges. It's not in the Murray-Darling system yet, but it's present in a few of our Queensland catchments adjacent to the upper northern reaches of our unique and valuable river system that drains nearly 15% of the whole country. I'm referring to the Mozambique mouth brooder, or tilapia as it's known. This fish is considered by worldwide authorities to be one of the top 100 invasive species worldwide. 
As the name suggests, the Mozambique mouth brooder looks after its eggs and young. After a brief courtship and spawning, the female takes the fertilised eggs into her mouth, thus providing a period of parental care unlike many of our native endemic fishes. Survival of the offspring is as close to guaranteed as it can get. Over Christmas, somebody gave me Dr Stuart Rowland's new book, The Codfather. Come to think of it, I think I gave it to myself. Stuart has worked with native freshwater fish all his life and is well known and respected in scientific circles as well as the fisher folk and farming communities along the river. After reading his chapter titled Goodbye Darling, I think I nearly cried. It's material that I already know, but condensed into a single chapter, it almost smacks you in the face. My own children and their children are taking their place in this great community we call Australia. But will they ever see a Darling River flowing free and clear? Will they ever know the proliferation of the unique native fish that sustained the First Nations people for thousands of years that our early explorers so enthusiastically wrote about? Or is Dr Rowland's assessment all they will know? Will a river in Australia become a haven for the likes of carp and tilapia and void of our unique fish population such as Murray Cod, Yellowbelly and Catfish? I know there are community groups out there like fishing clubs and fish stocking groups, scientists and so on, and they're concerned. Many are even actively doing something about it, but the scale is just way too small. During my time I've watched these tilapia gradually spread throughout Queensland and now even interstate. I hope and pray tilapia don't make it, says Rod Cheatham. P.S. He says, sorry if I've taken a while, but it's a big river system and a huge problem. Grab a copy of Stuart Rowland's book if you haven't already done so. And I will, and I have. <laughs> and he's on the, and he's on the line. Uh, Dr. Stuart Rowland, good morning and welcome to the program. Yeah, good day, Ian. Love you to catch up with you again. Yeah, I'll say it's been a while. I should call you the Codfather, yeah, really, well. shouldn't I? <laughs> uh, looking through your book, the history of the Murray Cod's really a history of Australia, isn't it? From millions of years ago, I suppose, from yeah, oh, First Nations people and then early explorers and right up to oh. the present day. The, the Murray Cod, you know, if you want to know about Australia, look at the history of the Murray Cod in Australia. Oh, and that's very well put. You're exactly right. It, it is one of the great fish of Australia, probably the greatest, and it's one of the great fish of the world. It's recognised as one of the mega, mega fish of the world because it grows to around about 100 kilos at least. It's, it's a great fish. It's, it's endemic to Australia only, adapted to our harsh, you know, environmental conditions that we have seen in land Australia. Fossil records put it, you know, tens of millions of years old. And it's quite likely in that Murray Cod played a key part in the evolution of Homo sapiens. The early Australian Aborigines that came down from the north were presumed to be fishermen and they came down and there's evidence of them in relatively large numbers in areas like Lake Mungo and Menindee Lakes and so on. And at the stage, you know, 50,000 years ago, there would have been, you know, huge numbers of Murray Cod and other native species in that area. So uh, it was always the fish to the Aborigines. Uh, it's a key part of their mythology and their culture. For example, in Aboriginal mythology, the Murray Cod actually formed the Murray River and was the basis of all the other species that we find in the Murray-Darling River system. The Aborigines hunted it, ate it, but they conserved it too, and a long time before we started doing anything serious with it. They didn't catch it in the breeding season. They let small fish go in the various fishing methods that they used. It's a fish that sort of plays such an important role through millions of years, for the 50 years since the Aborigines have been here. Uh, and even even early 
settlers and the explorers were astounded by Murray Cod, its size, its edible qualities. The early explorers like uh, Evans and Oxley and Sturd and Mitchell all, all wrote about Murray Cod. They all ate Murray Cod in their journeys because they followed the rivers. And in fact, Major Mitchell, uh, one of our great inland explorers, he actually gave Murray Cod its scientific name. In 1831, he was camped on the Pearl River near, um, near the current site of Tamworth. Yeah, that's right. And mm. he called it Peeli, but Peeli after the Pearl River because Oxley, <laughs> who'd preceded him at the Pearl, had actually named it the Pearl. And so that scientific name stands today. And uh, Mitchell also named other species like our catfish and our silver perch and so on. So Murray Cod uh, has had this incredible sort of heritage linked to the land and to the people. It's a fabulous book. I was looking through it, and, and I haven't read it because it's a big book. But it's, as I said, it, it's almost the history of Australia. When I was a kid, while well, a teenager, I used to buy surfing books, not because I was any good surfer at, at all. I, and I wasn't really interested in surfing on boards. I just loved the photos in there of all these yeah. coastal bits, and you'd look out, and there'd be rolls of rolls of waves coming mm. in, and on lovely pristine beaches. And I just used to buy it for that, and I'd sit there. And your book's the same. You can look through it, and there's oh, pictures of cod and pictures of little estuaries yeah. and creeks up in the mountains, yeah. and some of them yeah. are degraded and some of them are wonderful. Yeah. It's, um, you can browse through it. And as I said, it's really about our history because we always have eaten food, but mm. these days we get our food from the supermarket. But time yeah. was yeah. when you had to go fishing and the river was there and yeah. you ate a catfish yeah. or a yeah. cod or whatever. That's right. I mean, and look, the early settlers, they settled on the rivers because of the transportation, the availability of fresh water. And it was good land. It was good farming land in there. But, you know, Murray Cod and the other native fish, because they were so abundant, they were nutritious and easy to catch. They were a key part of the development of inland Australia. And, and even through to the 40s and the 50s, I know my grandfather was a great old cod fisherman. And, and while today it's the fish for inland fishermen, but Today, most of the fish are caught and released because of the, we saw this massive decline of Murray Cod, uh, the concerns by the 1960s and 70s. And we had a whole, a tremendous change in attitudes towards fishing that's developed through the 80s and 90s. And partly because of the decline of fish, the change in fishing methods and the promotion of responsible fishing by government departments and particularly key anglers and the journalists who wrote in some of those great fishing magazines and encourage people to enjoy the fish, to, to let some go. And it's become a, a real part of the inland fishing these days, a, a catch and release uh, of, of many of the fish that are caught. I'm talking to Dr Stuart Rowland, and he's just written a book called The Codfather. And Stuart, I don't know if you've had time to reflect on it, but this is really, as I said, a history of Australia, but it, it's your history. You've spent a lifetime trying to conserve yeah. fish. Have you had a chance yeah. to look back and think about your life and what you've done and what it means? That's a lovely comment, Ian. Look, I've had a fortunate life and a privileged life. I was born into just a great Aussie family that settled in the in Tamworth area, and that's where I was born. And I did well at school. I love sport, but I found I was always driven towards fish and rivers and the sea and a great fascination with them. I grew up at Sawtell as a teenager and, and regularly went fishing with mum and dad and my brother and, and was just fascinated. And uh, I, I, while I drifted away for a few years from um, science and biology and so on, I went back to university as a mature age student I went, and I selected Macquarie Uni because it was the only university in Australia in the early and mid-70s that had a specialist course on fish. And it was a brilliant 
course called Biology of Fishes. So I'd, I had my tertiary grounding there under the tutelage of the Dr. John Paxton from the Australian Museum who lectured at Macquarie and, and it was a wonderful course. And, I, and, and then I had a career with New South Wales Fisheries for well over 30 years. And it was a wonderful department to work for. Most of us were keen on fish. We were fascinated by them. Great colleagues, great opportunity to study fish and, and to have an impact on because uh, under under legislation, uh, it's the states that control the the freshwater components uh, of, the, say, the Murray Darling, the fish and, and and the rivers. And so the work that I did and was asked to do by the department was very much applied research. And we did research that would end up affecting management and having uh, hopefully having positive outcomes for fish. Part of the catalyst for the book was to give credit to the people that taught me and you know, I had scientific training, but gee, I learned most of my stuff from the old fishermen or the Aborigines. Their observations, they live on the river for, you know, 50 to 100 years and they just get to know things and their observance and, and they love it. And so, you know, a great sort of grounding and background for people like myself. And because a lot of, in the early days of my career, I needed to talk to those people so that I had a background because a lot of the stuff's not written down. So by talking to the river people, as I call them, or the Aborigines, then you get to have a feel for an understanding of what it was like at the turn of the century. Stuart, congratulations on the Codfather. Good luck. Yeah, thanks very much, Ian. Lovely talking to you. G'day, this is Macca. Morning, Macca. My name's Amy. I'm a born and bred South Aussie, but I'm calling from a very overcast Auckland in lockdown. There you go, Amy. Um, and how long have you been there? Uh, almost four months now. We moved over at the start of the year. Um, I've got a job at the university as a research fellow. Uh, researching what, Amy? Uh, so I'm a chemist. I've just finished my PhD, um, but we're working on looking at developing new antibiotics. So looking at uh, wow. Particular chemicals that we can isolate from natural sources, so bacteria or plants, and then trying to work out how to make them to work out if we can use them um, for antibiotic applications. Yeah, well, I suppose when you think about it, everything's out in the natural world, isn't it? You know, there's probably things we don't know, and they know that, you know, animals, some animals have got um, chemicals within them that, you know, can guard against, you know, skin cancers or sunburn, all those sort of things. So fascinating work, Amy, and you've you know, it's a bit like the number of insects in the world. We've we've identified about forty percent of them. There's another sixty percent of something in the jungles and forests and stuff of of the world. So it's it's all in front of you, Amy, isn't it? Yeah, that's it, and the rest of it. It's um, nature's a lot more creative than we can be a lot of the time. I'll say. So, Amy, you're in lockdown in Auckland. How long have you been in in lockdown? I mean, it's it's bewildering when you look around the world and you hear this story from America and this story from Brazil and. And so, you know, sometimes it just goes over your head. But you're in lockdown. You've been in lockdown, what, a couple of weeks or? Yeah, three and a bit weeks and a week and a bit to go before we get news on whether we're going to get let out anytime soon. But they uh, do it nice and tight here. The Kiwis, they don't <laughs> let much slip past. Yeah, well, it's, uh, you, can, you can see, um, and there's people in Australia here who are reasonably just walking around, you know, and... Um, mostly enjoying themselves in, say, in Western Australia and they're doing sort of reasonably normal things in Queensland and, and down in Tassie. We had a call this morning from, I think it was um, Brad. He was on the beach down at Signet, which is in Tassie, and he was just walking along the beach and having a nice time and saying that, that, that they were revelling in the fact that they didn't have any COVID there. But, um, 
Yeah, I don't know what the solution is. Well, so I just hear everything. Amy, you, have you got a thought on it? Oh, not so much. I mean, we thought we thought the same thing four weeks ago. We didn't have any here, and then you get one case, and now we have seven hundred and something. So, enjoy it while you can, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, and what's so? What's it like living in? What are the? How do the Auckland Aucklanders, Aucklandians uh, take uh, the COVID and lockdown? I mean, there's a lot of uh, argy bargy. Certainly in New South Wales, and I know in Victoria about you know how dare you lock us down and all that sort of stuff. And some people are doing it tough, and yeah, um, I don't no, know. Yeah, I don't... no, I think I think most people have been um, pretty well behaved. People are out exercising and stuff, but there's not generally a lot of complaint. I don't think you can have when there's been as much freedom as there has been up till now. There's a couple of protesters here and there, but there is everywhere. It's diversity makes up the population. <laughs> Exactly. So you gone there to live, do you think, Amy, or as long as the job holds out or what? A bit of both. So my contract's two years now, So, we'll, um, but there's potential for extension. So we'll see how long that lasts and then we'll see whether what the research landscape looks like back in Australia and whether I can come back for a job there um, or not. I think it's all, we'll play it by year. Yeah, well, that's all you can do, play it what's in front of you. Um it's uh, lockdowns aren't nice, but I, I, in some ways, I think um, unless there's something, you know, I suppose. Look, I don't know about law break, breaking the law and all that sort of stuff. There's a time and a place to break the law, but I don't think this is the time or or place to be breaking the law. I mean, uh, people, everybody, everywhere, I think, whatever the colour and persuasion, they're trying to do the best, and you, you don't know with viruses, do you? I mean, it's 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 a whole other thing, and. Human beings aren't used to this sort of, you know, the run-of-the-mill people aren't. I know a few people wrote some some stories about uh, viruses and pandemics and stuff that might come to us, you know, five or 10, 15 years ago, but the rest of us, including a lot of the health people, were blissfully unaware or, or didn't bother about it. That won't happen here, but, of course, now it's visited us, and uh, I think you've got to try and, and uh, yeah, do the right thing. Well, that's it. There's no point wondering what if it's here now, so we may as well make the best out of it and do the best we can. I think if nothing else, um, it's been a good exercise in science literacy for the whole population and um, learning to listen to our medical professionals and trust those people who have had 10, 20, 30 years of experience in this area. There's no point us making up a reason. We may as well listen to their expertise. So. Yeah, and how did you how did you find uh, moving to Auckland? Have you been there before, or is this your first time? You bought, you've been there four months, is that right? Four months, first time. It was, yeah, one and all in. Yeah, well, Amy, uh, you keep in touch. It's always nice to have a correspondent in New Zealand or everywhere. We did a program there some years ago on Anzac Day. It was good. It was great fun. We didn't stay there long enough. We are only there three or four days, but um, the people were nice. We met some interesting people. Like everywhere, there's always interesting people, and and good people. So, um, yeah, Amy. That's so it. And hopefully there'll be more here with the bubble open. Yeah. Yeah. Well, everybody loved to travel to New Zealand. They were traveling to New Zealand for a little while there, weren't we? But uh, anyway, it'll get better yeah. if everybody yeah. follows the rules. It'll get better, I reckon. Very much so. I agree. Good on you, Amy. Nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you. Thanks, Macker. And happy Father's Day to horse from New Rose. <laughs> from, from where? New residents just out of Loxton. All oh, right, okay. Good on you. Cheers. Bye. Uh, hello, Macca. It's David in Vietnam. 
G'day, Dave. Tell us, what's, what are you doing on this Father's Day in Vietnam? Uh, well, I'm sitting downstairs in our apartment block. We, we built an apartment block about six years ago in Da Nang and um, waiting for my daughter and my wife to wake up, I guess, <laughs> really, and listening, listening to Macca in the morning. I, I downloaded the app for 2DL, I think, the day before yesterday because I was getting a bit homesick. I've been in Vietnam for 11 years and I've, I've been <laughs> suffering with some sort of lockdown or restriction for the last two years since the beginning of last year. And for the last month, we've been completely inside our apartment block. Can't go out the front gate. For the last four weeks, we've not been allowed to even exit the front gate. I mean, it's just been very, very difficult. I had my first shot of AstraZeneca yesterday because I'm a teacher and they see the teachers as being essential workers. So I've jumped the queue on millions and millions of Vietnamese people to get get my first shot. So I'm very happy about that. But not overly happy about not being able to walk over to the beach and go for a swim or a surf, and everything's been closed for a month. So it's been a, been a strange story to listen to my friends in Australia that I've been talking to a little bit more regularly uh, recently and hear that they can go outside and have a have an exercise and the ones that live near the coast are going down to Tamarama and having a, having a swim and my sister's still playing golf and she lives in Northwood and I think... Oh, that sounds like heaven. <laughs> so, that's sort of my story. I came to Vietnam 11 years ago as a teacher and I moved to Da Nang about uh, uh, after three years. So I've been here about seven or eight years in Da Nang. So tell and, me um, this, David, um, how is uh, COVID over there? You've got lots of cases, obviously have, and uh, what are they trying to oh, do? Are they trying to get rid of it, learn to live with it? What's the, what's the deal? Well... I think that we had a full sense of security after the first wave, especially in Da Nang. Um, we got through that first wave last year, early last year, by they just locked us down and restricted us, and, and it, it sort of passed us. So this Delta variant has has um, has scared the life out of them in Ho Chi Minh. There's, there's posts of, of uh, families standing out front of their small houses in Ho Chi Minh uh, watching their mother or their father get wrapped up in plastic by hazmat suits because the, the hospitals are overrun. They've got something like 5,000 people a day are going down with it. Obviously, the, the hospitals can't cope, so there's just people dying at home. And I think that scared the Da Nang uh, government or council into this severe, they've called it um, Directive 16, which is, I, I think, it's, it's one off military lockdown, which, which it is, where all the streets are taped up. To get out yesterday to go to a convention centre in town to get my COVID, uh, COVID shot, I had to, um, I had to use a, a Q&R code at three or four different checkpoints uh, just to get out of my area, and they had to drop barricades to let me out, as did all the other teachers or, or essential workers that went to get it. Um, so they're very scared, and there's just no, not enough vaccines to, to obviously cover the 90 million people that live here. So uh, our lockdown is is very severe, so that so that it doesn't spread. I guess. Well, yeah, and when you 
when you said the, the hospitals are overrun, I mean, that's what they don't want to happen here. But and 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 that's why it's so crazy. We have people breaking. You know, we had we've had a couple of demos and stuff, and people out in the streets, and um, you just can't do that. I mean, I know it's hard for some people, but when you you know when you hear these stories from around the world, like Vietnam, or you know, look what's happened all over the world, Dave. Um, you've just got to you just got to knuckle down. When you talk about people out in the streets here, especially on the weekends, because you're still allowed to go for a walk and take your dog or whatever, or go shopping or whatever, and well, there's, there, I don't. These people just just appear when there's no lockdown. I, you know, you remember a time before because we had a lovely time, you know, in uh, February, March, April, May, and part of early June, and then it all went south. But but I don't know where those people. When there's no lockdown, you never see them. But during lockdown, there's people everywhere. I mean, there's and the beaches. You know, yeah. you, if you live reasonably, I think you've got to live within five k of wherever you go. Yeah. The beaches. You know, it's just it's unbelievable. You know, Tamarama and those places they're they're packed on on bright weekends. You know. Yeah, so this is why they they put the severe lockdown on us because the Vietnamese people are on a whole. I can't generalise, but most of them can't swim. So when they go to the beach, they they pen them um, into into guidelines like we swim between the flags in Australia. Well, they pen them, so they've had to shut the beach because everyone is congregating together. They stopped the exercising because everyone did the same as what you were talking about here. They, everyone went to the bike shop and bought a bicycle and, of course, they're all riding down the coast road in packs of 10 or 20 or 5 or whatever they are and, yeah. and they're stopping on the side and having and talking to each other. So they, they stopped that as well. And, of course, I did the same. I got my bike fixed up and off I went because they shut the beach and they shut the swimming pool, which is around the corner. So I feel like my quality of life went from... Very good. I was working and earning enough money and supporting my family as best I could, and then boom, nothing. You know, mm. I've got no work. Uh, our tenants in our apartment, in the two apartments that we rent above us, are moving out this month, and the only reason we've had them is they've been stuck in there. Well, it was a, uh, was a, a because they can't, couldn't leave. But mm. they've, they've, they've managed to book themselves tickets. I mean, I wanted to come home, to be quite honest, because I was getting a bit sick of it because I'm not earning money, but I've, I've got a friend that's a travel agent. She looked into tickets for me. It was $33,000 for three of us to fly one way out, oh, of, out, of, out of Vietnam to get home. I used to fly home just to say hello or uh, do a meditation course for, for $350 on AirAsia, and, and now it's $33,000. I simply just can't afford that. The next cheapest was Singapore Airlines at $24,000. Mm. And, and I thought, oh God, I've, I've just got to suck this up. I'm going to have to just hang in here. So, Dave, what uh, were what I, were you I teaching? You yeah. teaching English or what were you teaching? Teaching English. Originally, I studied studied to become a teacher when I was quite old. I was 48 when I came over here, and I I did a teaching primary teaching degree through Bega, Wollongong University in a bigger campus. And I wasn't getting a lot of work as a teacher. I was getting casual work, but then an opportunity came up to take a full-time job in Hanoi at a school that was affiliated with PLC in Sydney. And I took it. So I did two one-year contracts with them. And then I got a job at an international school called Singapore International School in Da Nang. So I moved here. Mm -hmm. And I had friends visit that said, why don't you get your wife to buy a plot of land here? And, and build something on it because it was developing. It was sort of like the Gold Coast when it first <laughs> took off. But, of course, now it's a ghost town. 
like there's there's apartment empty apartment blocks ev- everywhere hotels empty uh, uh, tourism's just completely stopped we used to have a lot of korean and chinese tourists of course they've all gone i mm. mean the exodus of, of expats has been incredible i i, I mean I, having said that i was in awe the other day because i went for a mass COVID test of foreigners and there was still two or three or four hundred maybe foreigners still here that were getting the COVID test and I, I ran away I thought oh my god if I'm going to catch COVID this is the place to get it so I just kept coming home and going back a half an hour later because I, I, I didn't want to be in the crowd you Dave, know, it was so look, strange yeah look it's lovely to talk to you you keep in touch with us um you can be a Da Nang correspondent and uh, you can keep us all informed and we can um, support each other. And, uh, yeah, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. We've got news coming up. But great to talk to you, Dave. Thank you very much, Macca. Good Spl- to talk to you soon. Pleasure. Bye. Hi, Macca. It's Sandy. Hi, Sandy. Where are you? I'm in Mornington Peninsula in Safety Beach in Victoria. Uh-huh. That sounds like a nice place to be. Oh, right now, Maka, I'm sitting on my doorstep, stuck in my 5K bubble, which is heaven. I've been loving this um, this lockdown. It's going to do our heading. I'm a Melbourneian. We've had 5K bubbles and limits for more than anywhere else in the world, apparently. I have decided with this last six lockdown, the only thing I can rely on is the sun rising in the morning because it's not on the planet. The other thing I can rely on on the planet, Macca, is you. So today I've got the sunrise and Macca on Sunday, so I'm a happy girl. And you can, I'll tell you what you can rely on too, is, is the birds and animals. They just continue. Uh, um, I remember- oh, Macca, Macca, I can't tell you enough. The birds, the little magpies come and sing to me because I'm up at dawn because I've committed to uh, photograph the sunrise every day just as a little anchor for myself and sets me up for the day. The birds that are coming out, the frogs I'm hearing, the dew on the flowers in the morning. If it wasn't for COVID, if it wasn't for lockdown, I would not have this opportunity. I'm lucky enough to have work, but my work is at home, so I've got that extra hour in the morning, and it's just a blessing. I'm just so lucky. Yeah, and and I've said before, you know, you can walk along the street and different people, like an engineer or a, or a, a truck driver or a, a skier or whatever, they'll see the world in a different way, but the the natural world... I, all I can say is maybe just if you've got a little lizard around the place, just go and observe a lizard or a bird or whatever. It's very, I think, well, certainly for me, and I think you can learn to love those sort of things, and it'll, it, I think it'll do you good. I think um, all those sort of things, the, the, the normal things like a little breeze in your face and stuff, just start to appreciate those things that are always there that don't sort of change. Like human, but we change all the time. But, um, the natural world doesn't seem to change much. It follows the seasons. It follows, um, and they do the same thing all the time. Birds, they breed and they nest and they look after the young and all that, and they do that. But humans, we, we change. We, I suppose we've got the, yes, the ability. I've often been thinking, Macca, on these mornings that, you know, spring isn't cancelled, sunrise isn't cancelled, things aren't cancelled, but us humans have had to cancel so much. And maybe that's not such a bad thing. Like he was saying before, if you post a letter, it takes five days to get there. Maybe that's not such a bad thing, that we slow up and we stop and we listen and we appreciate this beautiful planet and perhaps maybe even look after it better after this experience we've all been through. That's a great thought, Sandy. Um, do you, you can't go to the beach. Well, you... luckily, I actually live 
at the beach. I'm, I'm 400 metres from oh. Safety Beach in, in Mornington. So I, I'm swimming. I swam all through last winter and this winter just to keep my sanity what? up. It's pretty cold, nine I degrees. Was, I was just going to say that, nine degrees. You're a champion. Yeah. You're a champion. <laughs> Well, um, my dad used to say, enjoy the flowers, enjoy life and have a chat to them. So I have been. But he also used to say, given it's Father's Day, I want to say this for my dad. He used to say, talk to the flowers. It's good for them. And I said, oh, that's crazy, isn't it? And he used to say, no, it's when they talk back to you, you've got to worry. <laughs> exactly. Um, Sandy, I'll uh, yeah see you when I can, when we can all. We meant to do a program down on the Mornington Um um, for, oh, for years, you, yeah, we'd we'd love to come down. Uh, uh, look, we'll get through this. There's so many lovely people, Sandy. You're just an example of all the lovely people. Did you hear Dave in Vietnam in Da Nang? Yes, I did. I did. Yeah, yeah. He's he's. Uh, it's pretty tough over there. That's for sure. Well, they're they're having a proper lockdown, you know. And as some yeah. Melbournians have unkindly called the Sydney lockdown a mockdown. Because there's people, there's people out everywhere, and I can understand why people mm. want to get out. But you know, when you see what's happening over overseas, and it sounds like it mm. uh, horrible in Da Nang, for for example, and mm. and their hospitals are full, and a uh, oh dear, oh dear, you don't want that. Everyone seems to be doing it in their own way, don't they? I, I I don't know. I work in mental health, and I'm doing this to keep my own mental health and my own joy bucket filled up, so I've got enough to offer others. But I'm finding that. People who, let's say, are anxious are perhaps more anxious. People who were depressed are perhaps more depressed. People who were, had a zest for life have got more of a zest for life. It, it seems to be bringing out whatever's there. So, uh, you know, for myself, I just think if I can just hang myself together with some anchors and, and do lovely things, that, that's all that matters. We'll get through this and we'll get on the other side and be much better people for it. It's the only time we've been asked in this generation to do something for the collective. In, yes, you know, other generations in wars and depressions, and this is the first time that any of us have been asked to actually, you know, forego our own needs for, for the whole. So that's not always such a bad thing either. How well is that spoken, Sandy? I'm going to do that as a little grab exactly. Uh, exactly. Mm. Good on you, Sandy. Yeah, can I just give a shout-out? I've got some very special friends who we've bonded over Macca over the years. I know they'll be listening now. So, um, yeah, good on you, Macca. We love you. <laughs> I love you too, Sandy. Good on you. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.